Exodus 14, verse number 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you this day. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that by your grace you would bring out that that one point that we as individuals need. We pray that our Savior would be glorified in the process. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How difficult was it for the children of Israel to march up to the edge of the Red Sea and feel the rumbling of Pharaoh's chariots growing there behind them? Moses tells them that they're going to see God's salvation. But it's difficult to look past the circumstances. The Israelites had no weapons, so they were told, The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Doesn't that last phrase essentially say, Shut up and let the Lord do his thing. Watch the Lord do his thing. The Lord said, Moses, lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. The midst of the sea. There are several several lessons in uh, these chapters surrounding 13, 14 that apply to practical Christian faith. And the first was, that Israel didn't believe God, that if Israel didn't believe God and move forward, they were going to die. That's all there was to it. We can make a general statement, I think. Trust God and move on, or you're going to shrivel up and die. Our lives are not often attacked with the same degree of crisis that Israel was facing or had their back to at that particular moment. But it does happen from time to time. Every once in a while, the doctor tells a family member, you have cancer. You better prepare to die. It's coming soon. Can we move forward when we hear that sort of thing? Can we move forward in those circumstances? Will we move forward? Even without all the related material, the actual exodus of Israel from Egypt takes us through five chapters here in this book. God tells Pharaoh what he's going to do in chapter 11. Then in the next chapter, God tells Israel what he is going to do. Chapters 13 and 14 describe Israel's journey out of Egypt. 
And then chapter 15 contains Moses' song of praise, thanking the Lord for the victory that he accomplished. All in all, the Holy Spirit gives us about 75 verses of information in Exodus alone. And then there are those other psalms and historical references and other places that take us back to the Exodus. In other words, this is important. In other words, this should be helpful to us or we wouldn't have all this information. Let's consider the actual Exodus and its preparatory faith, its prosperous faith, and then the passing of that faith. Before Israel could reach the Red Sea, she had to pass under the red blood of the Passover. That in itself involved a great deal of faith. To trust in a vicarious, an animal sacrifice to meet my needs in this nasty world in which I live. That involved faith. Back in Genesis 15, God told Abraham that his children would be afflicted for 400 years in a strange land. Well, then came Jacob, and then came Joseph. Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt. And after 30 years of peace in Egypt, after or during Joseph's reign... There rose up a new king over Egypt which knew not Joseph. And Israel by this time was living in Egypt and things got very, very nasty for the nation at that point. Four centuries of affliction began. During that time, Israel was beaten to a spiritless pulp, if you like. But then toward the end of the fourth century, God raised up Moses the Deliverer. That took 80 years in itself. Then after the initial introductions between God and Israel and God and Pharaoh, the Lord began to judge Egypt with plagues, some of which Israel also felt. So they were seeing the hand of God in a negative sort of way, but it was the hand of God, obviously, because Moses said it, and it happened. And Moses was speaking by the command of God. But then as things progressed, God made a difference between his people and the world's people, so that his people didn't always feel all of those plagues. For example, Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. During those increasingly severe natural disasters, Israel's faith in the Lord was slowly growing, getting a little better and a little better all the time. When the day came for the tenth and final plague, Israel was ready to offer the blood of the Passover. How much faith was involved in that sacrifice? 
for the most part, these people had not been serving the Lord for generations. And now Moses comes along and says, do this for God, do that for God. And they, they listened. The amount and the degree of faith that Israel had in the sacrifice is really not all that important. What is important is the one upon whom the faith is laid, not necessarily the strength of the faith that we lay on him. Believe and trust the Lord with all the faith that you can muster, even if it's only the size of a, a thimbleful. Give it to the Lord. We must trust the Lord and not trust our faith. There's a difference. Everything about those few days of Moses' leadership, God's presence, the plagues, the hope of deliverance, were all new to Israel. A month earlier, all of this would have been inconceivable. And here is Moses saying, trust the Lord, trust the Lord, trust the Lord. And it's new to these people. But as I say, there's been some lessons learned and they're growing in this faith. We know that salvation is a gift from God. It is received by us through humble faith. The sacrifice of the Passover was made by faith. Israel's salvation on two levels was based on faith. How many families in Israel sacrificed the Passover? My mind was wandering as I asked myself that question. If I had to guess, I would say 60%. I would say, oh, there must have been a lot of unbelievers. But the Word of God tells us, and the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses, chapter 12 and verse number 28. It appears that there was universal obedience. And that in itself is miraculous. But the truth is, faith is contagious. The faith of Moses, the faith of Moses was shared with Aaron and he has that faith and, and these two you might say just drew Israel toward faith because of their example and their trust in the Lord looking back the progress of that faith which took a nation of slaves utter sheep right up to the shore of the Red Sea was a somewhat arduous journey. It was painful. Israel had to learn that Jehovah is God. And they had to learn that God really is God. They had to learn to put their trust in Him. They had to learn that God is sovereign over all things. Bugs, disease, water, frogs. They had to accept God's leadership through Moses and Aaron. And those men were telling Israel to trust the Lord. They were telling the people to expect what they never expected before, which 
is at the root of, of faith. The Lord is going to bring you out of Egypt just as he promised Abraham. Believe it, he says, Moses says. Is the shallowness of our faith, is our lack of faith, due to the fact that we haven't learned the lessons that have already been provided for us? You understand that we were saved by God through faith without the addition of anything else. Well, if God can deliver us from wrath, how shall he not, with Christ, freely give us all things? If he can save us, why can't we trust him for these other things? And do you remember the way the Lord miraculously brought you safely through that bout of influenza? He's done it before. Now he can bring you through the Red Sea as well. He who can fill your belly with manna can fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. But will you rely on him or are you going to be out there going to the fast food place looking for manna? The Lord has given us promises just as he did to Abraham. But do we trust the Lord enough to expect the answer to those promises? He is willing to bless us in our big needs, things requiring big faith, just as he has blessed us in the little things. We've got to learn to trust him. So there was preparation toward this big need of faith. There was preparatory faith leading up to what was prize-winning faith. Once again, Pharaoh said to Moses, Get out! Chapter 12, 29. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel. Go, serve the Lord as ye have said, and take your flocks and your herds as ye have said. Be gone, bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we be all dead men. Get out of here. Pharaoh might have said, this time I really mean it. Go. But then, that's chapter 12, the end of the chapter. Then going on to chapter 14, verse number 5. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people were fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people of Israel. And they said, why have we done this? We have let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. He took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued after the king children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with a high hand 
Don't run away from it. Don't hide from it because the Bible declares it. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did so for several reasons. One of which was to test Israel's faith. With joy, the people of Israel walked under the blood-soaked doorways of their homes in preparation for their departure. We're going to the promised land. They gathered under the leadership of Moses and they became somewhat organized for their journey. Their Egyptian neighbors had willingly given to them a great deal of gold and silver, jewelry and so on. For the first time in some of their lives, the people of Israel could wear earrings. They could wear some jewelry and there was a little uh, jingling of coin in their pocket, so to speak. This must have encouraged their faith. But our faith shouldn't be built on earthly gold. That is nothing compared to what is coming up. You think that uh, the gifts that the Egyptians have given you is spectacular? You ain't see nothing yet. There was great excitement and anticipation. But then came a bit of confusion. They were being led south when the land that was promised to Abraham was actually northeast of here. They're going in the wrong direction. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, though that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and return to Egypt. But God let the people, led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Chapter 13, verse number 17. The reference to being harnessed speaks of them being dressed and in their, the right equipment for their journey. They were well equipped and ready for a long march they were going in the wrong direction. And then they learned that Pharaoh had a change of mind. Not a change of heart because his heart never changed. He changed his mind about letting the people of Israel go. So he took 600 chariots, chosen chariots, and all the other chariots of Israel had captains over every one of them. There were the chariots of Pharaoh's personal guards, the very best of the very best. And then came the chariots of the general Egyptian army. Many were equipped with scythes on the wheels for the purpose of cutting down defenseless enemy. Under the circumstances, it would have been easy to slaughter all of the children of Israel. Now, Israel, can you still trust the Lord? Oh, you trusted him when you left your house. Can you still trust the Lord? How strong is your faith? Can you trust him even though logic says you have no hope? This is the kind of faith we are supposed to have. Israel was now being caught in a wedge. 
There were mountains on one side, the Red Sea in front of them, and the chariots of the Egyptians coming up behind. It was hopeless. This is the kind of faith we are supposed to have. It's not hopeless. Build your faith on what you learn of God in this chapter. With every trial to our faith, we're supplied with a few more tools to strengthen our future faith. If you have your Bible there, look at Exodus 11, verse number 7, where we first start, start talking about the Exodus. Verse number 7 says, Against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that ye may know that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. There are always little evidences and arguments for greater faith. I don't know about you, but I think God was saying what actually happened. <laughs> the dogs didn't even bark at them. Wake up and look. Listen. Not even the dogs are complaining about you leaving. Evidence of God's hand. I wonder if anyone looked around at the people who were preparing for that march to the promised land. Even the octogenarians were looking very healthy. Psalm 105.37 says, The Lord brought them forth also as silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. God can do these things and so much more. Trust him. Exodus 13 verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way. This is the introduction of the cloud. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of cloud from before the people. Do you envy them for the presence of the cloud? Don't envy them. They probably, if they had the opportunity, would have been equally envious of you. We possess the word of God. They had a cloud. We have the story of the cloud and other evidences of God's faithfulness and grace. We have so much more than they had. Not only can we bolster our faith by looking at the pillar of cloud and fire in the li their lives, but we have examples of other things which they didn't have. With the leadership of that pillar, they came to the sea, trapped in front of an angry army. And they said unto Moses, Because there were not graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Isn't that so typical? Many Christians would not mind serving the Lord even experiencing the great power of God so long as there wasn't any risk involved. We love the Lord. We want Him to be glorified. 
And if those blessings spill over and fall on us, hey, well, that's all right. We can live with that. But do we have the necessary faith to enjoy these things in the face of the opposition and the anger of God's enemies? Ah, maybe we won't go that far. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, stand still. See the salvation of the Lord which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. For the Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they move forward. But lift up thy rod, lift thou up thy rod, stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. You know the rest of the story, I hope. The rest of the history. Defying the laws of physics, chemistry, and logic, the water of the Red Sea rolled aside in a big wide strip so that these millions of people could quickly cross. Not only did the water move away, but the ground, which should have been soggy underneath, was almost like pavement. It was so easy for the people to cross that flat bottom body of water. But when Pharaoh later entered the same channel, at the command of God, the waters returned and the enemy was destroyed. That's the summary. I'm not one of those Christians who yearns to see the destruction of God's enemies. There are a lot of Christians like that. I'm not one of them. I'm convinced that the Lord will have his vengeance, and he will do so at his, in his time, his way. I prefer the sword of the Spirit than the sword of the military soldier. When the rebellion at the end of the millennium is finished and the last enemy is destroyed by the Lord himself, we will pick up a new version of Moses' psalm, this 15th chapter. And we will sing Christ's praises with a full voice and a great deal of joy. But in the meantime, I'm thankful that the Lord hasn't taken my life and cast it into hell. I deserve to be judged. I'm a sinner like everyone else. So I'm thankful for the deliverance of my soul, and I'm thankful for the deliverance of people around me. The question is, do I, do we, have the faith necessary to raise the rod of God over that body of water which is in front of us? Can we trust the one whom we know to be omnipotent to do what is miraculous? We don't deserve the miraculous, but it's not about us. He has divided the sea and dried up the Jordan to let his people through into the promised land. And he has sent revival after revival. And at times saves souls in groups of hundreds. 
Can he do the same today? Certainly he can. The problem is not with the Lord. The problem is with us. Right. We need to plead with God to give us the same kind of faith that Moses displayed when he raised that rod over the Red Sea. Now, just to give this message its requisite third point, let me take you to chapter 16, verse number 3. Within days of crossing the Red Sea, the faithfulness of Israel again reared its ugly head. Just after spending a few days learning Moses' song of praise in chapter 15, we read, And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots, when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. The point is, victorious practical faith is hard to attain. But it's probably harder to retain. We find, sometimes with the Lord's gifts, we find that faith and we use that faith. And then it is so easy to cast it aside. And when the next problem comes along, we have no faith for it. Today, you may be able to trust the Lord for the salvation of your friend expecting his conversion this next Lord's Day. But if he isn't saved this week, can you trust the Lord to save him next week? Or next year, perhaps? You heard about a great revival in a Baptist church 150 years ago, and today you're excited and hopeful and, and even expectant for the same blessing in your church. But it hasn't come. How long will your faith, how long will your prayer still feel, fill your heart? How urgent is your need of God's blessing? How patient are you in waiting for God's blessing, waiting in faith? You can feel the ground shake behind you as Pharaoh's chariots are rolling in your direction. The enemy is not unaware of your desire for God's glory. Will you trust the Lord to answer your faith? Will you stretch out that rod over the problem in front of you? Or will you just hunker down? We need to trust the Lord.